You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 69. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the Mother Good Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Well, I'm glad we could make our schedules align. Could we just start off by describing your background? Feel free to talk about education and how you met your spouse and and your kids too. Wow. So it started when I was five. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I have six beautiful children and one child in heaven, so seven in all. And my husband, Jason, I've been married for almost, gosh, I'm really bad at this. I always have to do very quick math because he always knows it right off the top of his head. And I'm like, so you can rely on him, right? So you don't have to. Yeah, every time, but he's not here. So I can't turn to him and go, tell me how long we've been married. So, um, (laughs) but (laughs) we have been married for almost 13 years. Oh, nice. Coming this this Christmas, it'll be almost 13 years. Oh, congratulations. And yeah, thank you so much. And we are just. It's it's really beautiful the way that we kind of came together. We we keep finding out that we both probably played each other in sports in high school. Oh wow. And never met in high school. And so we both went to I went to college here in town. He went to college somewhere else and was actually home after college getting ready to go to PA school, physician assistant school. And when he was here for the three months, that's when we met. So Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and he actually said to himself, I'm gonna go home for three months and I'm not gonna meet anyone. I'm just gonna go home, focus on studying and then go off to do this, this medical school thing. And, you know, apparently there were other plans. So (laughs) exactly. I love that so much. Yeah. And since then, you know, I actually went to school for sports communication. That's what my degree's in. And I really wanted to be Linda Cohn on ESPN. That was my oh, wow. that was my biggest dream was to be on Sports Center one day. She is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, right. She's in, and you know, so there's part of me that still very much thrives on all things that have to do with all sports. So, and now what ended up happening was that it kind of parlayed itself into me writing, and now I just do a lot of writing on theology and philosophy, and do some speaking on that when people think that what I have to say is intelligent. (laughs) I really enjoy it. And it's actually just conversations that my husband and I have and conversations that we have with the kids that kind of fuel all of those things that I get to do that the whole world sees. And it's just been a beautiful journey. And that's where I think I'm at today. Other than, you know, burping a baby or juggling two, because the newest babies are four months old and they're twins. So we actually had soccer tonight. I'm sure all the moms can attest to this. I'm at the soccer field. Jason couldn't come at the last minute. And I'm sitting there. It's starting to sprinkle. Kids are everywhere. One kid's actually <laughs> having to practice. And the other two, the two twins had um, their like shots today, their four month checkup shots. Aww. And then I tried to give them something to calm their little fevers. Man, they were not fans. So then we just went oh. on the field because that's what you do, right? As a mom, like, like we got to do all these things. It's fine. Just take your little fever out to the, the rainy field. So, Yeah, exactly. exactly. I know I was going to bring up your twins and then yeah. also just ask you 
how you do it because I just went to a pumpkin patch today with two kids and I'm so tired. I'm like wiped out. I'm like, how am I so tired from a pumpkin patch? I can't even imagine taking all the kids to a soccer practice. Oh man, it is so taxing. But I find the thing that makes it not taxing is like a mental preparedness before I go, like a mental and spiritual, just let's, let's suit up. I need to, I need to get in all my tactical gear here for my, my mental health, my, my, my spiritual health and just be ready. And the best, the best thing that I can tell myself is let it go. Just get out there and, and do what needs to be done without losing who you are in the process. Hmm. I like that a lot. That kind of reminds me of actually some advice that I gave a good friend of mine, which I forgot that I even gave her this advice. So she's like, Oh, uh, cause if she had taken a flight recently with two like, very small kids, you know, two toddlers. Yeah. And I said, Oh, how'd the flight go? And she said, Oh, it was great. I just had followed your advice that you gave me a few years ago. I was like, Oh, what was that? Like, let me hear my own <laughs> advice back. And then she said, yeah, you said just have very low expectations. <laughs> and then if it's any better than that, then you'll be so excited and it'll be amazing. And really? I forgot to that, but that's actually what I do. So I kind of relate to that when you're just saying, you know, mentally suit up. That's kind of what I do. But it's then true. I forget sometimes, especially today, it's like going to a pumpkin patch. I'm like, oh, it's going to be fun. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh. <laughs> right, so. right. Very low expectations. I would think to myself, all right, we're going to a pumpkin patch. We're going to find the perfect pumpkin. It's going to be like rivaling Charlie Brown's pumpkin. The kids are going to be so excited. <laughs> but in reality, you should just be like, we're going to just get in the car and head that way. And we'll just see what happens. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So great. Yeah, no, so true. Well, what I would love to dig and dive deeper into what you view is intelligence. I know it's kind of a broad question, but I know I read an article that you wrote recently on intelligence and the role it has in the life of women and mothers. And I know it sounds like a very deep topic, especially, you know, both of us are like super tired at the end of the day. And it kind of seems a little... I don't know that it's kind of a little bit out of reach for most moms. Like even now thinking about, I'm like, what am, what am I doing talking about intelligence when I can't even remember the name of the stroller, you know, like get in the thing, you know? So, but I love, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I just loved reading your article and I just found it so inspiring. uh, And I just love how you phrase everything. So I'll, you know, I'm just going to leave the question broad and let you run with it. Wow. Thank you so much for this really difficult question right now. <laughs> so, you know, I was sitting there and I was trying to figure out, you know, what what is intelligence? And right now you have just the gamut of it. You have artificial intelligence that exists right now in the world that we think that that intelligence can be replaced by something that's not actually a person. And the problem with that, of course, is how it robs the, the human person of their own dignity. So artificial intelligence is exactly what they call it. It's, it's artificial. Then when you think about, well, what, it, what, is, what is my intelligence? What's the intelligence of the human person? And there's so, it's, it is so broad, like you said, that you can say, you know, intelligence is really how you understand things, how you are able to posit things as abstract or logical, how you're able to piece together pieces of a puzzle, or how you're able to then take something and be able to pull it apart in such a way that it goes from something that's too large to being something small enough that you understand. But for for all intensive purposes, especially in that 
article, for me, what I like to view intelligence as is the capacity to know or the capacity Mm. to understand. And that still is in and of itself just a very broad thing. But for us, and and I would say to know something as, as a fact, not something that this is maybe how I feel, or you don't want to, you don't want to say that it's, it's kind of a wishy-washy assumption, but a very firm understanding of something that doesn't mean that it can't be made clearer by something else. It can't be clarified. It doesn't mean that it cannot be changed, but what it does mean is that it's something that you're sure of something that you know. And so intelligence in, in, in the way that I understand it is going to be your capacity to know or to understand. Hmm. I like that a lot. And how do you view that as playing a role in the life of mothers and women? Because I know that there's a lot of mom culture out there, which I'm sure you're very familiar with and our listeners are very familiar with as well, where it kind of just portrays moms as barely, you know, barely able to keep up with the day or a conversation at the park, you know, it's just like you're constantly interrupted and just, right. just very low standards. And, and, I, and I get at the same time, like we were talking about just a few minutes ago, that we do have these lower expectations just so we can get through the day or whatnot. But I mean, how do you balance that? And then also falling into the trap of just having a caricature of a woman as just this one dimensional being that she's only good for nurturing, you know, or she's only an emotional being or she's only good for this or that, you know? And, and I think that for some reason uh, society and women, we ourselves do it to ourselves that we kind of put ourselves in just one box where really, you know, men and, and when, especially when you're not a mother, that you don't really see yourself as so one dimensional. So how, right. how can we balance those two things? You know, I think the first thing is going to be to understand that our motherhood, our ability to exercise our intellect as women, it's not something that has can be compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. When we try to compartmentalize who we are. And we say, you know, well, over here are my emotions over here's my intellect. And also over here is my, my concrete understanding of things and and even try to take, take intellect and sparse it out into various things. These are my looks. This is, and so we try to just take everything apart, just like we said earlier, because it's almost easier to say, hey, I can do this one thing. I can I can just focus on my emotions right now. I can focus on my health or my fitness. I can, I can focus on reading or my intellect in this way. But you then become a fragmented person. Mm-hmm. And, and the fullness of the human person is to understand everything in light of your whole self. And even my, you know, my daughter the other night, we were sitting there and I am super biased, but I, I think she's beautiful and, and she's well aware that she is beautiful. <laughs> so she has, she actually came out uh, with, I felt like she was Rapunzel from Tangled when she was born. Oh, wow. They, when oh, they were wow. doing the ultrasound at our 20 week or so, the ultrasound tech, she goes, wow, I think I can see her hair. And I said, what do you mean? And so she would touch my belly with the wand and 
the hair would wave, you know. Wow. I mean, she looked like Elvis when she was born. Wow. It's crazy. People would stop me and be like, is that real? I'm like, no, it's a wig. Definitely put wigs on the baby. <laughs> um, so the thing is, is that she's always heard that. She's always heard about her beautiful hair and how pretty she is and, and things like that. And I remember, and I was telling her last night, I said, you know, mommy for a long time wasn't comfortable with letting people know that I was intelligent, with letting mm-hmm. people know how smart I was mm-hmm. because I thought that people would then somehow categorize me differently than the way that I thought that I should be categorized. Not understanding that my intelligence actually informed everything else, that when you're able to grasp different parts of yourself in a healthy way, maybe I'm going to not be a fanatic about fitness, but I'm going to somehow achieve the right momentum here. Maybe I'm not going to be a fanatic about my emotional life and be a very neurotic in that way. Maybe I can achieve some sort of, of balance in this place. But when we, when we kind of get out of whack, we allow ourselves to be defined by it and also then define ourselves by it. And so there has to be this coming together of every part of yourself to then not only live fully, but also allow yourself to be fully seen. Mm, I like that a lot. I can relate too, because, you know, I'm a lawyer and I always am reluctant to tell people that too, for a similar reason. Cause I'm like, no, don't right. <laughs> every preconceived notion that you have about lawyers, which is right. probably not a good thing. Um, <laughs> So I, I know that everyone has varying degrees of intellect too. Uh, so how can we, uh, you know, kind of utilize whatever degree of intellect that we have, you know, so, you know, to be all inclusive of every single type of mother, because, you know, some moms might think, oh, well, I, I, I'm not that smart or I didn't complete college or those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, how, how can each woman and mother realize their intellect um, depending on, you know, where, where they're at? in their intellectual life. Sure. I think that mothers, one of the things that, that we forget is that mothers have a a front seat to wonder, Mm. Uh, W O N D E R not wonder like you're lost somewhere, but wonder (laughs) you have a Mm. front seat to that. You have little people around you or even yourself who is, is constantly wondered and, and it finds themselves in wonderment and wonder is actually the beginning of good thought. That's actually the beginning of finding intellect, of being able to understand to a certain capacity, of being able to know something. It has to begin with wonder. And so you're sitting there in this, in in watching your children kind of understand the world, and you're the first teacher of that understanding. You're the first one that's going to posit a reality for them. And I think we kind of undermine ourselves in that way, or we don't understand the gravity that that means for us because your child will understand the world in the way that you understand the world. And so I wouldn't get lost in man. I'm not going to be able to be like Socrates. I mean, there's no way I'm going to be this uh, philosopher that's always answering questions and questioning everyone and being able to bring everyone to the right answer or I'm not going to be Plato, I'm not going to be Aquinas, all these things. But what you are is the architect of someone's world in that way. Mm-hmm. And if you can meet that wonder, because the way that we love our kids is going to open up our ability to want to know more as well. 
You know, it's mm-hmm. something very simple. I said that I really loved sports earlier. That was a very minute, I, there wasn't a whole lot that I loved about sports other than the competition of it. And there were very few sports that I knew everything about. So football, basketball, and golf. Those were the three things that I could sit down and cover those sports. When someone tried to introduce soccer to me, I remember looking at them and being like, these rules are horrible. I have no idea why you have these rules. And, and then said, like something my husband would say. Right. And I was like, I'm, done. I'm not doing that. And so yeah. now my kids and my husband love soccer. And because of their love of soccer and my love for them, it made me want to know more about soccer. It made right. me want to understand the thing that they loved. And so I think as mothers, we're able to not only expand the understanding of our children, but when they start to ask us question about bulldozers, I mean, we're probably going to go out and try to figure out everything that we can answer about bulldozers because we need them to realize how smart mommy is. Mommy knows everything about bulldozers. It's amazing. And so I don't think we can reduce ourselves to just just this degree or to just this encyclopedia. We only know the N encyclopedia or something like that. But we can then say, actually, my my understanding, my intelligence is always expanding because the intelligence of my child is always expanding. Mm. I love that so much. That reminds me of, you know, I one friend of mine, she posted on social media recently, just how she learned every single dinosaur and their names and all their characteristics inside and out uh, for her son. And I just thought that that was so sweet because, you know, that's something that just, just as you were saying that the mom will go to the lengths of educating herself and, right. and getting to know something that her children are passionate about inside and out, just so she can give all those facts to her child. So I think that that's, that's such a beautiful way of incorporating the intellect into your life as a mother. So I love that a lot. Yeah. My husband and I always joke that the only reason why we love theology and philosophy is because our kids ask us the most pressing questions. (laughs) So (laughs) the Lord gave that to us so that we would somehow be able to keep up with them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I know kids always ask like very deep (laughs) theological questions, like think, or even, I don't know if your kids, I'm sure your kids do this too, but my daughter, Kate, she always asks questions about like defining very simple things. And it always stumps me too. It's like, how do I like, what was a, Oh, she asked me, um, what does vote mean? Because we were talking about, Oh, we're going to go vote today. She's like, what does vote mean? And I don't like, I could explain vote to someone who has like maybe a little bit bigger vocabulary, but I, I felt so dumb because when you're trying to use the most basic words to describe something more complex, I was just like, well, uh, it's when uh, I'm like, wow, I do not sound very smart right now. Uh, yeah, the way that you define things for them then shapes the way that they're going to think about other things. Yes, exactly. So you could, even even something that you don't even think about. Although in our climate right now, people think about the word vote and it's like a it, you know free for all. But I think yeah. that when we talk to our kids, we don't even understand what kind of of understanding we're laying out for them. I mean, exactly. we're making a foundation for them to build on for themselves yes. later when they're able to posit their own thinking. So it's such a, wow, we have a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think like how I define, I think what I ended up saying was something like, oh, well, 
it's when people choose who to govern over them and and then she's like, well, what's govern? I'm right. like, well, you know, they tell you what to do or something. And she's like, mama, I want, I want to vote for you. You can tell me what to do. Or You're like, no, don't vote for mama. I've got enough responsibility. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, ah, uh, no. Uh, okay. <laughs> Next topic. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's oh, the life and the mom, I guess. So, right. Exactly. Um, so in the article that I, I read and, um, wh- did you write it for, was it the Catholic woman that you wrote it for? I'm yes. trying to remember. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in that article that you wrote, I really liked how you said that too often women are reduced to their emotional life, which while beautiful does not come encompass all that we are. I'm reading just a little excerpt. Uh, we are more than how we feel and we are learning the value of our emotions and the freedom required to actually feel happiness, sadness, joy, or anger. We must not allow ourselves to be reduced to them alone. Your emotion holds greater weight when you're able to derive why you feel, when you feel, how you feel, and what you feel as a means to engaging your whole self in the life you've been called to lead. If your heart is if your heart is truly in something, it allows your mind and will be to be steadfast and unrelenting, but you must engage your intellect and will. You must challenge yourself to think deeply, to be moved intellectually, to ask questions and to keep looking for answers. And I just wrote that out and took that excerpt from that article because I thought that was just so, so beautiful. And just, you know, as you were saying, a way to incorporate the intellect into your life. But do you have, you know, an example from your own life that maybe you could share how you do this? Because I'm, I'm a big person and big believer into examples, right? <laughs> so right. We like process things. So I don't know if you have maybe like a couple examples, but I just thought that that was such a beautiful statement that you wrote. Oh, sure. So tonight, actually, perfect example was tonight at soccer practice. We are the babies are are a little fussy because of their shots from today. And it starts to sprinkle a little bit and practice is not quite over. So I'm trying to figure out what to do. And, and right. And I was by myself. So it was a little bit easier in that moment because the other kids were playing somewhere and they ended up coming over right in the middle of me trying to figure out what the next steps were. And one of my sons is a weatherman. And so as soon as he comes up, he's like, mom, I'm pretty sure it's going to start raining right now, which really adds to the stress of the situation. Like I'm, I know, I know it's going to start. Rain. I feel all the same raindrops, and so I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're, we're you know, you, you emotionally are trying to form a reality, and for me, emotionally, I was going, there's going to be a monsoon. The babies are going to get the flu because we're out here and then I'm going to have all this wet stuff in the car and we're never going to get to the car. The car is so far. And then I had to, at some point, bring in my intellect and my intellect is like, Rachel, they're super tiny raindrops. They're not coming a lot. You're going to be fine. There's a little shelter over there. If you want to go to that shelter and then gather your stuff so everything doesn't get wet. And so I started to do that. And then, of course, it doesn't rain at all. But in the middle of it, it had like the little like warning sprinkles. And then when we got into the car, it, of course, downpoured. So we were well taken care of tonight in that way. But whenever I, I was sitting there trying to figure out what can I do, I then had to engage my will. 
Mm-hmm. because uh, there's a big part of me that just wanted to give in to the freak out, give in mm-hmm. to the everyone grab your stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> We're about to all be drenched. There's a downpour. And that when I started to engage my intellect, it kind of roped it in. And so I think if you wanted to then take the example and then also put it with another picture, you could almost say that emotion sometimes is almost like a a tower that's leaning whichever way the wind wants to blow. Mm -hmm. So it's leaning towards anger. It's leaning towards sadness. It's leaning towards joy. But your intellect comes along and starts to straighten out the things that are making it lean, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. But your will has to be engaged because your will is what cements it into place and allows it to actually become stable. Because if I just sat there and and realized, hey, this isn't as bad as I thought and still stood there in the rain, my my will would be absent. So we really need to engage all three of those things. And I think a lot of times because we don't practice bringing the beauty of our emotion into the beauty of our intellect, the beauty of our will, we compartmentalize ourselves and then only define ourselves by emotion because it's the loudest voice that we hear. Mm hmm. But you have to bring those other three things in so that you're able to to be centered, especially yes. in moments of high stress that moms have every day. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I love how you put that, that you think that we have to put all of those together, you know, the intellect, the will and the emotions, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I myself, I tend to be more well, before kids, I should say, used to be more non-emotional, <laughs> more like a, a robot, I guess, because I was all like, oh, facts, you know, because I'm a lawyer, like, oh, practical stuff like this and that. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm on the other end of the of the, the spectrum where I've had to bring emotions more into my being. Uh, right. But then it's hard to have that balance because I've noticed that we as human beings, we tend to be pretty binary in right. what we do, it's either, oh, we're this or that, you know, exactly. um, it, and I think it has to do with social media too, that we just put ourselves in these boxes that we're like, okay, we know we're left or right, or, you know, not, mm-hmm. not to get political, but we're like, we're either like, you know, conservative or uh, liberal, like we just right. put, put ourselves in these boxes. Um, when a lot of the time, you know, most of us, it's so much more complex than that. And mm-hmm. it's hard to, accept yourself and realize yourself in the moments as being multifaceted in when it comes to these situations. So do you have any practical tips for, you know, we as moms, I know that, you know, women too, we just have so many emotions constantly like that are being pulled and we're being influenced by, especially because of our hormones. I mean, you're pretty newly postpartum. It's like there's the postpartum hormones and then there's the you know, the menstrual cycle hormones and then all these other hormones and then there's your children's hormones and then like their emotions and all these other things going on. So like, how do you balance all of these together? And then also, you know, with your intellect and I don't know, sometimes I just kind of get overwhelmed (laughs) with thinking about all of that, you know? You know, I think it honestly, the key to all of it is making time for recollection Mm. and a lot of times we're zooming from from this, not zooming like video chatting, but we are we're we're going from one thing, right? Exactly, <laughs> we're going from one thing to the next thing to another thing, and we're not really spending enough time recollecting. And it doesn't have to be a constant thing, 
but especially out of when there's a moment where your emotional life kind of took over, it's good to sit down and go, okay, especially when you're, when you're mothering your kids, right? When, yeah. when you lose your cool, I know you and I never lose our cool with our kids, but other people, like our husbands, those guys, when oh, they yeah, lose their cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to say, look back and say, okay, I lost my cool this morning when we were getting ready for school. Yeah. Why did I do that? Mm-hmm. What brought me to that place? And then you can say, well, those are the things that I need to avoid. I need to maybe get up a little bit earlier tomorrow. I need to make sure that I've done a little bit more so it's not so rushing or allow myself mm-hmm. a little bit more time. But when we kind of think that this is this is all there is, my emotional life must just be this, or there, I can only operate without emotion, when we don't spend time recollecting all of those things and not compartmentalizing them, bringing them all together, mm-hmm. allowing your intellect to then say, hey, actually, we got to fix this and your will to say, OK, I'm going to do it. Uh, right. There is a, a book. It's the, the Rules of Discernment by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And it's probably been one of the biggest gifts to me, not just as as a mother, but just as a person, maybe a better wife. And one of the things that it it all speaks to this is that one of his rules actually says that when you're not at war, then the fortress has to be fortified. Hmm. And that really speaks to recollection. And he he says, you know, when the enemy has somehow gotten in, you need to, and and the war is over, you need to go outside of the fortress and look at the walls and say, where is this weak? Let me fortify this part of the fortress so that, you never have to do that again. But if we don't spend enough time recollecting, we won't fortify the fortress and we're going to be right back in the middle of war with weak walls when we should have taken care of it prior to that. Mm. And it's just a huge practice to spend time knowing yourself. And if you can do that, that's the best way for you to be able to bring those things in, center them accordingly and allow yourself to be the best version of who you are. Hmm. I love that so much. So how do you find yourself? Uh, you know, cause I know that there's so much out there in, in the culture and social media and whatnot of, you know, oh, be who you are and those sorts of things. But, you know, it sounds like you've come to the point where you are really able to recollect and actually realize who you are and how, how do you get to that point? Oh man, that's a loaded question. How much time do we have? I'm just kidding. <laughs> One of the things that has always, it's it's really changed my life, is there is a a theologian, he actually was a Pope later, but um, Joseph Ratzinger, everybody knows him now as as Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. And one of the things that Joseph Ratzinger wrote about was the fundamental pattern of the human person. And What he meant by that was that every person is called to be child, to be spouse, and to be parent. And there's a lot that goes into that, but without going down this rabbit hole of of theology and anthropology, what it really comes down to is that your recollection, me being able to find myself, is me going, hey, I need to be a really good parent. And in order to be a good parent, I have to be a good spouse. But in order to be a good spouse and a good parent, 
I have to be a good child. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about a child to my biological or, or my adopted parents in this case, but I'm talking about for me, it being a, a child of God, mm-hmm. being able to find myself as someone who is loved someone who is loved for who I am, that there is nothing that changes that, that I am indeed unrepeatable and completely unique. And and his love for me holds me in existence that even if I didn't, if I somehow wasn't loved, I would literally cease to exist. But because of that, I'm held into this, this place and, and this moment. And I think that if we can realize that those things shape who we are and every person is called to it, So even if you're not married, maybe you're a single parent and you're thinking, well, Rachel, I can't be a spouse because I'm, you know, I'm a single parent. Well, spouse doesn't necessarily mean a marital spouse. Spouse means walking with and abiding with someone. So even that spousality is actually found in sisterhood. It's Mm -hmm. found in friendship. And maybe you're thinking, well, my parents were horrible. I've never known what it was like to be a child. Well, your kids show you. Your kids really give you the understanding and and the will to say, man, the things that I faced when I was a kid, you're never going to face them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you somewhere that's better than where I began. And when you're realizing those things, you can go back to, man, this is, I want to redeem my childhood in this way. And you can do that now. That's not just something that you, it, that, wow, the clock's already ticked and I can't go back. Really now you can go back and say, you know, my childhood was what it is, but if I can return, if I can somehow find a place where I'm loved and find a place where I am cherished and unique and unrepeatable and whoever's listening right now, it, that's true. There's nowhere that you have to go in this moment. That's, that's the truth of who you are, that someone loves you, that someone has a purpose for you. Someone created you and desires for you to be loved Hmm. and that you're enough in your motherhood and your, in all of our frailty, it's, that's enough. And I think that getting to that place where I can just say, Hey, this is enough. I can, I can always find myself as a child at my father's feet. Hmm. That's so beautiful. It's, it's reminds me a lot too, of basically our entire motto of that. There's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Just because I know that a lot of mothers are just constantly striving to be perfect, but you just said yourself that you know you can start at any time. That it, it just because you might feel like you you're, you haven't been doing a great job up to up until this point, or just because you had a bad day, doesn't mean that that's how your parenthood or motherhood is going to right. be defined, and that you are always have the opportunity to recollect and reconcile, reconcile, and then move on. So I just think of that's so, so beautiful. Uh, so why do you think that society only views women and mothers as one dimensional and this kind of caricature of that we are only emotional? I just see that so often. And I mean, I know dads are portrayed a certain way too recently in a lot of movies and those sorts of things, kind of like, oh, the clueless dad. So I know it's just not moms that are kind of portrayed in only one dimensional way, but I mean, it is kind of unfortunate that, you know, you, you right. know, for most movies, like, okay, there's the stereotypical dad, there's a stereotypical mom, but why is it that you think that women and mothers tend to be portrayed in that one way? I think a lot of times it's because that's what people are, are comfortable with. 
you know, you're going to be comfortable with, with mediocre things. I tell my kids all the time, you know, it, it's a lot easier for you to choose the low road because you don't have to do anything. You're, you're, you're not having to, to reach up, to elevate yourself, to pull yourself to somewhere that feels a little bit unnatural. Mm-hmm. But when you make a habit out of it, it becomes a lot easier. And so I think that just society as a whole is just okay. We're okay with the mediocre. We don't want to be called to a place of, of something different. And I look back at a, Jason and I love the show, This Is Us. I think we're really behind right now. But but This Is Us was when they portrayed Jack. Isn't it Jack? The dad in the show. I haven't seen um, it yet, but I'm adding it to my list. I'm always looking oh for man. good shows to watch. The dad in it is probably one of the purest notions of what a father is mm. and then later they reveal one of his his largest wounds and and i remember jason and i look at each other and being like darn it we really wanted him to be who we thought he was you know why do we have to write it this way but i think that when we see something a person in their fullness a, a person in in all that they were created to be aside from something one-dimensional they're not just their body they're not just their emotion especially when you look at women you're not just a mother. And we all do that, right? Oh, I'm just a mom. Yeah, yeah. But when we can make that part of who we are and view ourselves in our entirety, it does, in fact, call us to something higher. Mm. And, and for us as women, we have to allow ourselves to, to feel, to think, to be, and to completely be comfortable with all of those things mm-hmm. and not to place those things on some notion that you saw on Instagram or to place them on some notion of, of the person you've never met, but maybe you just saw her in a magazine or it came across an ad and a commercial on television, something that you're really thrive, try, trying to get, strive after, but it's not real. And, and really what you can offer to the world, what I can offer to the world is something more, it's completely different than what other people can offer to the world. And the world needs what I have and what you have. And we don't need to be mimicking one another because that's when things get boring. We can use each other as a motive to discover our, 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 who we are meant to be, but it can't be the goal. The goal should always be the fullness of who I am. And maybe this person is inspiring me to discover that, but they're not Mm. the precipice. Mm. I like that a lot. I know sometimes I even reflect on how amazing it is that we as moms, like every single mother, as you were saying, like every single person is completely unique, that every single mother is so unique. Right. And her each child is so unique too. And then when you put the combination of the unique mother and the unique child together and their interaction together and their personalities together and their siblings and with mm-hmm. the unique father and all that. It's just mind boggling when you think about it of right. how complex this can be and how different every single family truly is. Like the dynamic is completely different. And then we, on the other hand, as moms, we are always <laughs> trying to compare ourselves to other moms when we're it's so different. Like the right. whole, everything is so different. So, I mean, I just, I think about that every now and then. And then I just kind of laughed at myself because I'm like, why, why are we even <laughs> trying to do, to do that? You know, right. I don't know. It must be anthropological or something like that. <laughs> right. It's true. Yeah. So yeah. Um, 
Well, I'm trying to think. I my brain is kind of a little fried. From, <laughs> as I already said, like the pumpkin patch. So I was like, I have had so right. many questions to to ask you and to like talk to you about more. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, but I feel like I could keep on talking about this too. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to be intellectual, but also like my, right. my brain is fried too. It's interesting that. Um, one thing uh, just to add, and I'm sure you have something to say about this aspect too, is that, you know, how children are always so present, you know, mm-hmm. that that's something that I have really learned from my children is just how they just live in the moment so much. Uh, and I was recently watching this Netflix documentary, like super short documentaries. I don't know if you've seen them, they're called Explained. Oh, No. Uh, they're on like different topics, but Mm -hmm. one of them recently that I saw was on time and it was just saying how, have you ever noticed that sometimes time seems to go really slow and Mm -hmm. then other times it seems like it flies by and then there's just like trying to explain all of that. And one interesting aspect, um, that they were talking about, well, cause you know, like during the pandemic, they said for some people at the beginning of quarantine, it went so slow, like about half of everyone said it was like just dragged on. I know I was one of those people. Right. And then the other half was like, oh, it just flew by. But then they said for children, um, you know, they, they've done studies on why people perceive time different ways. And then for children that they, childhood for many people is like the longest period of time because you live moment by moment. Like you literally, the moment in front of you is all that you're right. really thinking about that you're like so present And that's something that I've really tried to learn from my children. I mean, I'm not perfect. I don't, obviously, I don't do this all the time, but I'm trying to get better at this. It's just like basically like living in the moment and being present to my children. And so I don't know, that just kind of reminded me when you were just talking about earlier, um, something else you're just talking about, um, you know, how you're learning from your children and like trying to be there for your children and stuff like that. So I don't know if you have any tips for, trying to be a little bit more present, but it's something that I always am trying to do. But if you have any tips, I I love to hear from someone like yourself who has more experience than I do. So, you know, earlier I said we had to practice just being, and that's probably one of the most difficult things, especially for moms, because we're always doing something. We're always picking up the house. We're always planning something, making dinner, tucking someone in, fixing someone's, finding someone's toy, just all these things that we're always doing, but we're never actually able to, or practice being as well. And one of the things that I noticed is that of course, when you're having the most fun, you end up looking at the other person and going, man, time really is it really 10 o'clock right now? Or is it really yeah. time to go? I, it feels like I just got here. And and the truth is, is that it's because we've placed ourselves outside of time. And it, my friends and I like to call it uh, ontological time. Ooh, like you've, actually, like you've actually entered a space where you're just so comfortable with being that time doesn't exist here. You're just... Wow you're just completely enveloped in being with the other person being in this moment and children do that so well. Oh yes. Yeah. And it's something that honestly, my son made me think about it the most one night he, after we had lost our fifth child, Mm. I was getting him out of the bathtub. My mom had also recently passed away at that point and I'm getting him out of the bathtub and he says, mom, 
Do you think that when we get to heaven and we see grandma and we see the baby, do you think they're going to be really mad that it took us so long to get there? (laughs) And I was just like, okay, well, (laughs) but I ended up telling him, I said, buddy, where's the place that you have the most fun? And he said, well, Disney world. And I said, well, that's true. I said, right. When we go to Disney world, when I tell you that it's time to go, don't you feel like, man, mom feels like we just got here. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, if you imagine heaven as the most fun that you will ever have, then what always gives me peace is to know that when I get to embrace my mom again, when I get to embrace Carol, the child that we lost and anyone that I've lost here on this earth, that they're going to hug me and say, feels like I just left you. Because time doesn't exist in that way for them. And Mm -hmm. so it's the same thing, I think, when we're with our families is that at the end of life, you're not going, man, really wish I would have done that. There's no more wishing at that point because time, there's never enough. So don't, you know, COVID, that was the biggest gift of this time was to force people to be. Mm -hmm. And, And like you said, some people, it was like a super long time. Some people, it felt like it was really short. And, and kids, I guarantee that they did not want it to end. At least mine didn't. They were like, man, mom, I don't want you to have to put things back on some sort of weird schedule. I want us to just do what we do every day without anyone having their say over what I do in the next moment, other than just being with one another. And I think that that too is the thing that made me realize that I don't have to necessarily what would be a perfect mom, right? But to be a good mom was looking at my kid and realizing like, man, you don't actually want all these things. You just, you want me. Mm-hmm. And that anything is wonderful if you just have me. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the most alarming truths to find. And, and a glimpse of that unique and unrepeatable love that I think we all experience. But it's, it's been such a huge gift. And I think that when we realize that what children really value is you and ontological time with you. Mm. That gave me the chills when you just said all of that. It just is so beautiful and so, so true too. And and then you also answered the last question. You kind of <laughs> wrap that in there that I usually ask about, you know, the time that you realize it's okay to not be a perfect mom and okay to be a good one instead. I, I do think too that there are obviously, you know, everything that happened in 2020 was very stressful mm-hmm. for many people, but I I really am trying to choose to see the positive too. So you just put that so eloquently. So thank you so much, Rachel, for thank joining you. us today. I just had such a wonderful time talking with you and sorry, hopefully I wasn't a little two days together formulate my questions or whatnot. So where can our listeners find you on social media or online if they, if they want to follow you? So I'm super active usually on Instagram and all the big ones. So Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter made it really easy. Just Rachel Bullman and uh, rachelbullman.com. Nice. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. And I'm sure I'll be, I know you're, you're in Florida and I'm in California. So uh, hopefully we can meet in person one day, but yes. I'll, I'll see you on Instagram. So yes. <laughs> I'm definitely-